Hey there, family. Welcome back to a whole new podcast here at U-Turn Orlando. We're so psyched to have you guys. For all those of you who want to have more information on our church, go ahead to www.myuturnorlando.com. We love you guys. Enjoy. To another level. That means God wants to take you guys to another level. Amen. How many believe that this morning? Amen. And so this morning, we're going to continue our sermon series called Strange, Stranger Things in the Bible. And I'm just going to be frank with you. If you haven't caught on yet, this is more about being set free and uh, about spiritual warfare. And it's about uh, being free in Christ and uh, being delivered of certain things. And the reason why we do that specifically in October is because the world has given this month to the devil, Right. But we don't give no month to the devil. We don't give him no ground. I always tell people, hey, do you celebrate Halloween? I said, no, I don't celebrate it like the world celebrates it. Because every single day is the Lord's day. Amen? Every single day for me is the Lord's day. I don't give no ground to the enemy. And so some people understand that. Some people don't understand that. And so, uh, but that's where I stand with that. You can have your own convictions if you like. Amen. And last week we talked about, what did we talk about last week? We talked about what? Curses, right? And, uh, you know, I did mention last week that there's some people that don't believe in curses. Even Christians, they don't believe in curses, right? And that's okay. Um, I honestly, if you have Jesus inside of your life, every curse should be broken inside of your life. Amen? But the Bible does teach that uh, you actually have to break those things inside of your life. Amen. And God gives us a way to do it. If you didn't listen to that message, go ahead and listen to it. Today, we're going to be talking about stay woke. Everybody say that. Stay woke. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, stay woke. This is not a time to be falling asleep. Come on, somebody. This is the service that I'm going to call you out. I'm just joking. I'm not going to call you out. I'll just let you snooze. Amen. Some of you got nervous. Acts chapter 20, verse 7 Acts chapter 20, some of you be like, oh my goodness, I better stay up. <laughs> Acts chapter 20, verse 7, and we're going to be talking about spiritual apathy. Everybody say that, spiritual apathy. Come on, you can say it a little bit better, spiritual apathy. And that's, uh, that's why I say stay woke. And you know, woke is a big fancy word these days. So anyways, Acts chapter 20, verse 7, it says, On the first day of the week, we came together to break bread, and Paul spoke to the people, and because he intended to leave the next day, he kept talking until midnight. And some of you think I'd be like long-winded. This dude was preaching all the way till midnight. Amen. Verse 8, there was many lamps in the upstairs room where we were meeting. And so this was very lit, you know. And how many know when you, it's, uh, when you light up candles and stuff like that, sometimes it gets hot. And back then, there was no ACs and stuff like that. So it was in the middle of the night. There was probably heat. Amen. Verse 8, there was many lamps in the upstairs room where they were meeting. And verse 9, seated in a window was a young man named Eutychus, who was sinking into a deep sleep. And as Paul talked on and on, and when he was, when he was sound asleep, he fell to the ground from the third story. That means he fell out the window. He fell to the ground from the third story and was picked up dead. Can you imagine that? So you're in, you, you in a service. It's on the third floor. Obviously, this dude probably came in late. So he fell out the window because he fell asleep. Verse 10. And Paul went down, right? So that means 
and there was a big commotion right during the service. He stopped preaching. He went down. He saw the young boy. He was dead. Paul went down, threw himself on the young man, and put his arms around him. And he says, don't be alarmed, he said. He's alive. Right? He was dead. He spoke the word of God over his life. He's alive. And then he went upstairs again, broke bread and ate. And after talking until daylight, now this is midnight, now it's daylight. That's like all morning from 12 to like, let's say, 6 o'clock in the morning. Right? Uh, the people took the young man home alive and greatly, and they were greatly comforted. Amen. Father, I thank you for your word. And I pray, God, that as we continue to learn, God, the stranger things in your word, God, that you will give us revelation, God. I pray that you will speak through my mouth, think through my mind, God. I pray, Father God, that you will clothe me in your anointing and your power, God. And I pray, God, that as I'm preaching, you are moving, God. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. What a story, right? What a story. And some of us don't even realize that, that those, those kind of stories are in the Bible because, uh, let's, let's be frank, right? We, don't really, we haven't read that far yet, right? We haven't read to Acts yet. But these are some very strange things, strange things that happen inside of the Bible. And so look at, there was, Paul was preaching, right? And he was preaching, uh, and if you look at his, his books inside of the Bible, you'll see that Paul has some very powerful things to say. Paul has some very powerful things to say. And so here he is, he's preaching until midnight, and uh, this boy, for whatever reason, he was the only one that got tired. Right? Because it doesn't say that the whole room got tired. No, it doesn't say that. It doesn't say after the boy fell, he got resurrected, that the Bible says after he did that, he kept on preaching until daylight. It doesn't say, oh, and the room got tired, just like the young boy. It doesn't say that. For whatever reason, it points out this young boy, right? It almost gives us the picture that whatever Paul was saying was so good that people stood awake because they wanted to hear every single word that was coming out of his mouth. It didn't matter to them how late they stood inside of the church. It didn't matter to them that they stood to midnight. It didn't matter to them that they stood all morning listening to one man. No, it didn't matter. Why? Because they were getting fed from the things that he was saying. And what would happen this morning if we had the same passion what would happen this morning if we came to church and we were the kind of people that it didn't matter how long we stood in the house of God? Why? Because God is speaking. And God is directing my life. And God is guiding my life. doesn't matter. Right? You can see the passion. Have you ever went to a movie theater? How many have ever been to, to a movie? That should be everybody. Come on, somebody. You know, I say certain things just to see if you're listening. So uh, I've been to a movie theater before, several times, actually. I love going to a movie theater. But, you know, one of the things that I started to notice when I got older is that um, I started to fall asleep during the movie, right? I remember going to see Fast and the Furious, one of the, I don't know how many are there now, but it was like either 8, 9, 10, whatever, right? And I went to see it, and I was so excited to see it, you know, because... They have fast cars, and if you know anything about my wife, she has more like men passions than girl passions. She likes cars too, 
There was one time in our anniversary, I didn't take her to a nice fancy restaurant. I took her to a restaurant that had cars. And she was like mesmerized. Oh my God, look at this car. And look at that car. She was more like a dude than I was. I wasn't even excited about the cars. You know what I mean? So she was excited about the, about the movie too. And so uh, I, was, um, I was watching the movie and somewhere in the middle or somewhere during the movie, I totally, completely fell asleep. And you know what? I was trying to wake up and I just couldn't because, you know, we were in that lovely, soft leather seat right? And the air was blowing. And then I had that one with the recliner, right? How many ever been to the one with the recliner seats? Come on, somebody. And then you really knock the heck out, don't you? Right? You don't care about the mover or anything. And then at the end of the movie, when everybody started clapping, I was like, I missed the whole movie. I spent $15 on this movie and I missed the whole entire movie. Right? But you know, that's what happens. That's what happens spiritually sometimes is that we fall asleep. And we don't even know how long we've been feeling. You know, when I was watching that movie, I didn't even know. I thought I was going to eventually wake up. I did not. Until my wife woke me up. She says, you missed the whole movie? You know, if you know my wife, she's a little sarcastic with a big smile on her face. You missed the whole movie? Right? So now you know what I do? I, start, I take coffee. I start drinking coffee before I go to the movie, especially if I feel tired. Why? Because I don't want to pay a price and then miss the whole thing. Right? You pay for popcorn. Like, literally, you could spend like $60, $70 if you take your entire family to the movie theater. Right? If you're adding popcorn, candy, and you know your kids, they're, only, they're not only going to want popcorn, they're going to want some candy, some soda, and then the big one. You know they're not going to finish it, but they still want the big one. Right? And that's what happens in the church sometimes. We pay a big price. We wake up early, right? We, we, we do all these things. We serve and stuff like that. But if we are not spiritually alive, you're, not, you're missing out on everything. You're missing out on everything. I'm missing out on everything. And that's exactly what spiritual apathy is. It is spiritually falling asleep. And you can fall asleep for a long time and not even realize it. And not even realize it. And so then Acts chapter 20, Paul the apostle is preaching a message. And then this young boy comes in and obviously the room is packed. And he's sitting somewhere by the window because all the seats are taken. taken. And what does that let me know? That means he came late. Right? Don't you hate going to a place and you think when I show up there, people are not going to be there early. I should have a seat. And then you get there and all the seats are gone. How many have experienced that? And then you're standing all the way in the back and you pay the price that everybody else paid. And that's what happens spiritually, right? You come late to things. And you know, naturally, we should be a people that are so excited on Sunday morning. And yes, you're going to be tired. And yes, you might have a fight. Why? Because the enemy is trying to keep you from the house of God. But it should be to a point where you have such a passion to get to the house of God because you want to have a seat to hear his word. Unfortunately, this young man did not think that. He treated this situation like every other situation. Look, look at what it says here. I wrote this down. This is the, 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 the definition of apathy. It says, lack of feeling or emotions. Lack of feelings or emotions. It's, it's lack of passion. The Greek word which, if you don't know, most of the New Testament was written in Greek. It literally means this. It means without feeling. 
Somebody said this, spiritual apathy is when one has no passion, they have no zeal for the things of God, they are spiritually numb, they are spiritually asleep. Somebody else said this, apathy means this, watch this, I don't care. I don't care. It's not the same as ignorance, right? Ignorance means I don't know. It's not the same as complacency. Complacency basically means I am satisfied where I'm at in my current status. I'm okay with being where, where I'm at. It's basically mediocre. It's not the same as laziness. I don't feel like doing anything. No, no, no. Apathy means, hey, man, I, I don't even care. You're just going through the emotions. I'm going through the motions. Amen? Number one, here's, here's some signs about apathy. And then we'll talk about how we get the passion back. Number one is familiarity. When you become familiar with things, too casual about the things of God. You become too casual about the things of God. I don't know if they have the points, so if we could put it on the screen. You become familiar with it. Look at, look at what uh, uh, Mark chapter 6, verse 1 says. It says, Jesus left that part of the country. Mark 6, verse 1. Jesus left that part of the country and returned with his disciples to Nazareth, his, his hometown. And the next Sabbath, he began teaching in the synagogue. And many who heard him were amazed. That means he was preaching some powerful stuff. And they asked him, where did he get all this wisdom and the power to perform such miracles? And look what some of them said. They scoffed. They scoffed. And look what it says. He's just a carpenter. The son of Mary and the brother of James, Joseph and Judas and Simon and his sisters live right here among them. They were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. You know, when you start saying, hey, this is just a service, just another service. That's what they said. He's just. A carpenter. He ain't nobody special. He's just a carpenter. Oh, it's just another Sunday service. Oh, it's just another, another outreach. Oh, it's just another prayer meeting. Oh, it's just no, another leadership training. Oh, it's just another you group. When you begin to say, oh, it's just another, my friend, you might be falling into being familiar with serving God. We don't want to get to that place. Where we say, oh, it's just another miracle service. Or, oh, it's just another event. Oh, it's just somebody else getting healed, right? It should get ex you, you, we should get excited when somebody else gets healed from cancer. Why? Because that's not normal, my friend. There's people upon the thousands that are dying from that sickness. And when we hear, when we hear that God is healing people, Oh, man, that should excite us. It shouldn't be a little golf clap. No, it should be shouts of joy that God is moving. That God is moving. It's not just another miracle. It's just not just another church. No, my friend, when we begin to say things like that, we are falling into a spiritual apathy. Our passion is leaving. Number two, you know, you become indifferent. The biblical word to this is lukewarm. It's lukewarm. The Bible says in Revelations, you're not hot and you're not cold. You're just in the middle. And the real translation, the real context of that is Jesus is saying, hey, you should be so on fire for God 
that in a hot day, you should be cold water to the world. And on a cold day, you should be hot water to somebody. But you should never be in the middle. And when we become in the middle, my friend, we are becoming indifferent. We are becoming too comfortable. And my friend, that's where the, that's where the enemy wants you. I'm going to tell you this. The enemy is okay with you coming to church. He's okay with you coming every once in a while and serving inside of the church and going to certain outreaches. He doesn't care about that. What he cares about is your passion for God. What he cares about is you being on fire for God. Anybody can walk inside of a building and hear somebody talk. Anybody can pick up a bucket and clean up dirt from a street. Anybody can do that. It's how you do it is what he's concerned about. And so many of us, it's like the motions, right? It's the motions. Our worship is just motions. There's no passion. There's no fervor. There's no, there's no nothing there that it's like, man, I want this so bad. I want this so bad. We become indifferent. The next thing is you become disconnected. Everybody say disconnected. And this is talking about community, right? Before, you know, when, I first, when you first get saved, you want to be around the children of God right? You want to be around people that are worshiping. You want to learn from the word of God. But what begins to happen when we begin to develop a spiritual apathy is we become disconnected. It no longer is something that's like, oh man, I miss church. I wonder if God would have spoke to me. Oh man, I miss Yuku. I wonder if God would have spoke to me. Oh man, I missed the worship. I came late. I wonder if God would have touched me during the worship. That begins to leave. You become disconnected. Look what Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23, and I don't think they have it, but if you have your Bible, it says this. It says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we we profess, for he who promised is faithful. What is he saying? He's saying Jesus is faithful. Now he continues to say this. He says, let us consider how we may spur one another towards love and good deeds. Can I tell you something? When you see somebody not here, you should find their number. You should find them on Facebook. You should look up their Instagram and you should spur them to good deeds and the love of God. You should encourage them. Where were you? The word of God was so powerful. The atmosphere was so powerful. You missed out. I encourage you to come next time. That's what he's saying. How do I know that? Because this is what he says next. He says, you should spur one another towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together. As some of you are in the habit of doing. The writer of Hebrews is saying this, hey, listen, you should not stop meeting together because you guys have to have the habit of coming. Can I tell you something? That coming to church on a regular basis, it simply boils down to habit. That's what he says. You could have the habit of coming faithfully to the house of God, or you could develop a habit of not coming faithfully to the house of God. He says, as some of you are in the habit of doing, but he says, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. What day is he talking about? The second coming of Jesus. I don't know about you. Have you seen the news lately? I mean, it seems like Jesus is around the corner. What is he saying? He says, listen, you need to encourage people to come to the house of God or any time the church is gathering. Why? Because the day is approaching. Do you know the main thing that begins to happen 
towards the end and when Jesus is coming back is that believers start becoming more apathetic. Their fire begins to die out. And it's going to be so, so much that it becomes so normal that you start saying, well, this person's like that and that person and so many Christians act the same way. Well, that's the sign, my friend, of the end time. People don't have a passion as much for Jesus as they used to. That is a sign, my friend. But I believe we are raising up a church in this place that is so passionate about God, that is so passionate that they don't want to be disconnected. They don't want to be a person that has, that's indifferent or they don't want to be a person that is familiar with the things of God. No, you're grateful for the way that God moves, but man, there's something inside of you that says, man, I want more of what God has for me. I want more. Can somebody say amen. So how do we restore this? Right? I've been in a spiritual, apathetic place once. Actually, a few times. How do you restore this? Because this happens so suddenly. This happens so easily. You know, those times back in the days where, you know, church attendance was important, but it wasn't a priority. And that's how some of us are, right? Church attendance is, is, is important to you, right? But it's not a priority. Your relationship with God is important, but it's not a priority. My friend, if you make... Uh, Jesus and your relationship with God a priority, I promise you, you begin to see things shift inside of your life. I promise you. There's going to be friends that you don't even know are backstabbing you. All of a sudden, you're going to begin to see who they really are. Why? Because when you are connected with Jesus, he begins to whisper things about people that are not good for you. That's the goodness of God. So last week we talked about David, right? How he sinned with Bathsheba and committed adultery and how Nathan gave him a parable, right? A story that let him know that he was the man in the story, the rich man, right? And, and then after David uh, heard that parable, that story, he repented. The beautiful thing about the Bible is that the Bible shows us what his prayer was. Aren't you glad? You basically are like a fly in the wall while David is like, praying and asking God for forgiveness. So this is how we restore our spiritual passion within our lives. Number one, know the character of God. Know the character of God. Psalms 51, verse 1 and 2, it says, Have mercy. This is David praying, right? After he was found out that he had sex with Bathsheba, committed adultery, and this is what he did. He probably went back to his, his place and he began to cry out to God, and he says, Lord, have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sin. What is, God, what is David saying? He's saying, God, I know you're a God of mercy. God, I know I messed up, but I know that your love is unfailing. Oh, my friend, when we mess up with other people, they're not as merciful, are they? They're not as unloving or they're, they're loving. Their love is unlimited, like not, not, not like God's. But David is saying, listen, God, I know you are a merciful God and your love is unfailing and you have great compassion. Not just compassion. You have great compassion. Look what he says. He says, you remove the stain of sin. I didn't know that. I didn't know sin stains. 
Yes, sin not only leaves a mark, but if you don't deal with it, it leaves a stain. But praise God, David is saying, not only do you remove me, remove the sin from my life, but you also remove the stain. How many ever wore a shirt that was clean but had a stain? Right? I bought uh, an American Eagle shirt, and I wore it once, and I dropped ketchup on it. Yeah, that's how I felt. Right? And I can't wear it. Why? Because it has what? A stain. It's clean. Right? It smells like downy. It's fluffy. It smells great. But I can't wear it. Why? Because there's a stain. Right? And sometimes we feel good when God forgives us of the sin, but we don't stay connected to him long enough so that he can remove the stain the residue, the repercussions of what we've done. And that's what David is saying. God, not only do you remove the sin, but you also remove the stain of my sin. Ain't that powerful? Jesus is a person that does a complete work. He also says, hey, you're the cleanser of my guilt. My friend, if we ever feel guilty, it's always because of sin always because of sin. When we feel conviction, that is the Holy Spirit. But while we fall short of the glory of God and we sin, whether we do it on purpose and there's guilt there, my friend, that is the result of sin. God doesn't bring guilt. God brings conviction. And then he says, you purify me of my sin. You purify me. First John chapter 1, verse 9, it says, but if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and he is just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all wickedness. Number two, number one was know the character of God. Let me tell you this before I go to number two. Some of you think that God will not forgive your sin. My friend, you don't know God then. The Apostle Paul was a murderer of Christians. And he wrote one third of the New Testament. Why? Because God forgave him. And not only did God forgive him, forgive him, he set him free. He delivered him. He removed the stain of sin from him. And he empowered him with the Holy Spirit. And he called him. And he began to write one third of the New Testament. That even to this day, people are, are changed because of it. So you can't say, oh, my sin is too great for God to forgive. No, my friend, you don't know the God that we serve. You don't know the God of the Bible. Come on, somebody. Say amen. Number two, repent. Everybody say repent. repent. Look at Psalms 51, verse 3. David continues to say, for I recognize my rebellion. I recognize my rebellion. And what does rebellion do? It haunts me day and night. I recognize my rebellion, and it haunts me day and night. And look what he says, verse 4, against you and you alone have I sinned. That's, that's the priority, right? And so many times when we mess up, we worry about the person that we might have sinned with, or we worry about how we messed up. No, no, no. He said, forget about all that. Worry about how you hurt God. Worry about how God feels about your sin. He says, against you and you alone have I sinned. 
He says, yeah, you might have sinned against somebody else. You might have sinned with somebody else. But that doesn't matter right now. What matters is that I have sinned against you and you alone have I sinned. He says, I have done what is evil in your sight. And look what he says. He says, you will be proved right in what you say and your judgment against me is just for I was born a sinner. Yes. From the moment of my, my mother conceived me. But you desire from the womb. You desire truth from the womb. Teaching me wisdom. You desire honesty from the womb. Teaching me wisdom even there. So what is he saying here? He says, hey, listen, I was born in sin, God. And some of us say that, you know what? I don't, I don't have the right environment. This is why I do this. You know, I didn't have the greatest, greatest examples in my parents or in my family or my friends. Did you, do you know what kind of neighborhood I grew up in? Of course I'm going to do this. David is saying, yeah, I might have been, been born into sin, but that's not an excuse. You still want me to live with integrity. You still want me to live in honesty. In other words, he says, listen, when you begin to repent before God, you don't come with excuses. Well, look what he says. He says, listen, I recognize my rebellion. Anytime we sin against God and we go away from his will, it is rebellion. We are rebelling against God. We are rebelling against his way and his word. We've all done it. Come on, somebody. I love with, uh, what, what, what 1 Samuel chapter 16 says. I'm not going to read it because I, I, I didn't put it up there. But Samuel basically says this. He says that rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. In other words, what he's saying is, hey, when we, when we rebel against God, whether it's a small sin, right, in our mind, or a big sin in our mind, right? To God, it's not no big sin or small sin. No, no, rebellion is against him as bad as witchcraft, and arrogance is as sinful as idolatry. Because you rejected the Lord's command, he has rejected you as king. He's talking about King Saul. Right? And any time we don't follow the word of God, it's almost like witchcraft. What does that mean? That means we open doors. Of course, in God's grace, you know, he knows we're going to fall short. But my friend, if we keep on doing it and doing it, not only do we rebel against him, but that thing that we are rebelling against him becomes like idolatry. And what does idolatry come from? It comes from what? Arrogance. When you begin to try to think that we can do stuff without God, and we could just limit God out of the equation, and I could just go to this and, and do that, or drink this, and I'll be, I'll be good, or smoke that, and I'll be good. No, my friend, that's arrogance. Whenever I think like that, that's arrogance, and that's idolatry. And we learned last week, what does that idolatry bring? It brings a curse upon you and your family. Come on, somebody. I know this is a hard word. There's hope. There's hope. So we repent. What does repentance mean? Repentance does not mean I'm sorry, even though it's okay to say that. Repentance literally means to make a U-turn. You're going in one direction, and you find out, like David did, oh, man, I messed up. And it's like God says, turn around and go towards me. Turn around and go a different direction. And so many times... It takes a long time for us to turn around. 
Because we think by saying, God, I'm sorry. God, I'm sorry. But we keep on going in the same direction and we keep on making the same mistake and we keep on thinking the same way and we keep on doing the same way. And all along we're just saying, I'm sorry. But God's saying, stop saying, I'm sorry. I appreciate it. But stop saying, I'm sorry. I need you to turn around and go the other direction. That's what repentance is. It's turning around. It's changing your mind. It's turning around and going to the next, to the, other, to the other direction. John Calvin said this, Repentance is an inward matter which has a seat in the heart and soul, but afterward it yields fruit in a changed life. This is what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 3, verse 7. He says, But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? He says, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. In other words, when we repent, when I repent, there's evidence of my repentance. Right? There's evidence. Oh, man, he starts, look at that. He's not talking the way he used to. She's not acting like she used to. I could see something completely different about her. She's not acting like she used to. She's not talking. She's not, she's not doing things like she used to. That is the signs or the fruit of repentance. And Jesus was basically saying to the people that came, he says, yo, you're coming in to get baptized, but there's no fruit that you have repented. So he, he's basically saying, hey, you're a snake. Why are you acting like you repented when you really didn't? And that's why he calls them a sick. You brood of vipers. Who warned you of this wrath to come? Repentance yields fruit. And I'm not talking about you got to be like, oh, holy. No, it comes little by little, right? When you see a, 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 a tree that bears fruit, oranges, all the oranges don't come at once. They come little by little. Even if there's a little fruit, my friend, there should be something to show. Man, there, there's, there's fruit there. Number three. To get back to having a passion for Jesus and getting rid of spiritual apathy. Number three, plead the blood of Jesus. Plead the blood of Jesus. Look at Psalms 51 verse 7 says, Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make my heart, make me hear joy and gladness that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sin and blot out my iniquities. He says this again. He talks about the stain of sin. And this is what he says, blot out my iniquities. That lets you know iniquities is an inward bruise. There's outward bruises, and then there's an inward bruise. And he says iniquities come from your bloodline. It's a generational sin. It's something that was passed on to you. From generation to generation. And he's saying, listen, blot out all my iniquities. Those inward sins. Those things that I don't even know my grandfather did. And my great-great-grandfather. God, remove that from my life. He says, blot it out from my life. I don't want to fall into the same situation that my ancestors, ancestors fell into. Is somebody saying Amen. When he says, purge me with hyssop, hyssop is basically a leaf that back in the Old, Old Testament, they would dip it in blood and they would begin to purge 
or they will begin to put the blood on the sacrifice. And that's why I said, hey, listen, he's saying, God, I plead the blood of Jesus upon my situation right now. I plead the blood of Jesus upon this situation. What does the blood do? The blood cleanses us and washes us. It's something that can be, the the blood cleanses us of all the stain of sin. It removes everything, the residue, the consequences. That doesn't mean that you're not going to get the consequences of sin. No, my friend. But when, when the blood begins to rest on it, you begin to get healing instantly from the consequence. Yeah, you're probably going to feel it, no doubt, right? But there's still power in the blood. Jesus spilled his blood so that we can be forgiven. Not only do we, we don't pay the same price that David paid. We don't have to. Why? Because Jesus took that blood, took that price, and he shed his blood. Can somebody say amen? But look at what Psalms 51 verse 7 says. Verse 8 says, make me hear joy and gladness again. What does that mean? That means that David was not hearing joy, and he was not glad about anything. He says, man, it's because of my sin that I feel like this. God, I pray that your blood will cleanse me of this sin so that you can restore unto me joy again, so you can restore unto me gladness again, so that you can restore rejoicing again in my life. Number four, as they put on some worship music, this is the last one. Pray for restoration. Everybody say restoration. Look what he says. He says, create in me, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a loyal spirit within me, and do not banish me from your presence, and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Notice he doesn't say my salvation because he didn't save himself. God saved him. Restore to me the joy of your salvation may make me willing to obey. And then he says, then I will teach your ways to rebels and they will return to you. Verse 14 says, forgive me for shedding blood. Because remember, he kills Bathsheba's husband. He says, God, forgive me for that. Oh God, who saves, then I will joyfully sing of your forgiveness. Unseal my lips, O Lord, that my mouth may praise you. You know what begins to happen when we mess up before God and we, we don't repent? The first thing, one of the first things that leave your life is praise. That's why he says, O Lord, that my mouth may praise you. What, what do we want God to restore? Number one, we want God to restore purity. Because when we become spiritually, spiritually apathetic, most of the time, it's because of impurity within our life. Sin separates us from God. God, restore to me purity in my life. God, restore to me, number two, loyalty. Loyalty. You know what the opposite of loyalty is? Is rebellion. When we rebel against God, that's disloyalty. When we have loyalty, that means, God, I might have messed up, but I'm going to run back to you. God, restore loyalty within my heart. He then says, restore passion for God's presence. Restore passion for God's presence. That's where he says, God, do not banish me from your presence. 
We've all been there. I've been there. I've messed up, and I don't feel God's presence like I used to feel it. Like, I don't want God's presence like I used to want it. He said, God, don't take that away from me. Don't take your presence away from me. And then he says, restore the willingness to obey. Do you know that sin removes the desire to obey God? Sin does that. Our hearts become cold. And no longer are you like, man, I don't, I don't really care. It's not working for me anyways. No, it's not. It's not that we're not, it's not working. It's that we're not working it. We're not being obeyed. We're not obeying. And many times when we fall short before, the, the, before God, it removes the willingness to obey him. But this morning, we're going to pray, God, restore the willingness to obey. And lastly, make my mess a message. That's what David says. Make my mess a message. He says this, verse 13. Uh, 13 it says then I will teach your ways to rebels why would he teach people that are rebels his ways why because he's a rebel himself he rebelled against God himself and he says God when you restore me I would allow my mistake I would allow this mess that I made to be a message for people that were in the same situation that I found myself in in other words, David is saying, I'm not going to waste this. I went through too much pain to waste this. I went through too much heartache to waste this. I made too many mistakes and I reaped too many consequences so that the enemy could get the glory. In other words, David is saying, I am going to make it a point to snatch other rebels out of their sin. He says, I'm going to teach them that what I've done is not the way to do it. I'm going to teach my kids that this is not the way to go. This is not the direction you should go. My friend, don't waste your mistakes, small or big. In the middle of your mistakes, come with a loyal heart and ask God, God, restore to me purity and loyalty. But at the same time, God, teach me what I should learn from this. So that when it is time for me to share it with somebody else, it's like it's coming from you and not me. Don't waste your mistake. Stop making the mistake. Once you stop, don't waste it. Because there's going to be an opportunity. There's going to be an opportunity where you're going to be confronted with a person that made the exact same mistake. And you could say, hey, listen. I've been down this road, and I know exactly what you're thinking. I know exactly what you're feeling. I know the spiritual battle that you're going through. But I can tell you that if you stick with it, and if you repent before God, God will restore you. God will change you. But you have to go down this road first. And instead of letting people go down that road by themselves, now, because you made the same mistake or a similar mistake, not only are they walking, but now you're able to walk with them. You says, hey, man, I feel like quitting. And then you show up and you say, like, I felt the same way too. Man, I don't feel like serving God no more. I'm telling you, I felt the same way too. But if you keep on going, it's going to change. 
well, man, I feel like a failure. And you're going to be like, I felt like a failure too. But God is gracious. And the same God that had compassion on me and had mercy on me and his love was unfailing for me, he has it for you. He's not a respecter of persons. And you're walking that person through that season inside of your life. Don't let the enemy tell you to waste your mess. Turn your mess into a message that God can use to set somebody free. Let's all stand this morning. Stay woke. Everybody say that. Stay woke. Stay woke spiritually. One of the ways that the enemy does, what he does is he tries to, to distract you. He tries to distract you with sin. He tries to distract you with things that are good, but they're not God. He tries to tell you, hey, this is the only way that you're going to survive. Do this. Do this. This is the only way. Forget about that God thing right now. You need to survive. No, my friend. God is your provider. He's bigger. He's bigger than anything. You say, oh, no, I have to do it like this because I need to survive. That's a mentality that the world teaches you. And yes, there's certain things, my friend, that we have to do to survive. But the only person that can resurrect things inside of your life is God. Yes, you put effort. And yes, you try your hardest. But when you fall short, that's when you call out to God and he does the rest. I've met so many people that say, man, I have no choice but to sell drugs. That's a lie from the pits of hell. God could open doors. I have no choice but to do this job. And you know that job is not the best job. That's a, that's a lie from the pits of hell that you have to do that. God is your provider. God is your provider. The same way God provided in the word of God and the same way God provided for me, God could provide for you. He's not a respecter of persons. I'm not better than you. And the people in the Bible are not better than you. God is the same God with you. Come on, lift up your hands this morning and begin to worship him. And begin to tell him, God, I begin to change this inside of my life. I don't want to be asleep. I don't want to be at a place where your presence is, is here and I don't even know it. I don't want to be in a place where you're moving and I don't even know that you're moving. Come on, begin to cry out to the Lord this morning. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Move in this place, Lord. Move in this place, Lord Jesus. God, I pray right now for every single person. For every single person that might be saying, God, I'm spiritually apathetic right now. And I need you to restore passion. God, I want to be hot for you. I want to be hot for you. I want to have fire for you. I want to have passion for you. God, I pray right now for every single person. Come on, if that's you, lift up your hands. I want to pray for you. Right now, I pray against every spirit of apathy right now in the name of Jesus. I come against it right now. Every spirit of apathy right now. Every spirit that says... You don't have to care about the things of God. You don't have to care about these things. I rebuke it now in the name of Jesus. 
Every spirit that is saying you need to make it happen for yourself. My friend, you can make it happen with God. You can make it happen with God. You can make it happen with God. God is the same God that split the Red Sea. Hallelujah. And he made a way where there seemed to be no way. He's the same God that made a pathway for Israel. When they didn't have a way to go, he opened the Red Sea. God is able to open the Red Sea on your behalf if you trust him. So right now, I come against it right now in the name of Jesus. I command every single spirit of lukewarmness and apathy within this church to go now in the name of Jesus. I thank you, God, that there is authority in your name, that there is power in your name. Right now, in the name of Jesus, break every chain, God. Every chain, every chain, every chain. Thank you all for listening. Be sure to stop in for a whole new podcast. We love you, familia.